welcome to episode 100 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on October 1st, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and 50% of this here show with me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How you doing, sir? I am shocked at how casually you just sailed by the fact that this was episode 100. Because I don't want to like, I don't want to like bicker here to start the show off or anything. But I'm just saying, if this had been my week to host, I would have been like, I would have been like Oprah Winfrey and like, this is episode 100, and I would have had like sparklers over here and like a live band and those little like confetti cannon things you pull the string on that look like champagne bottles in your hand that you like shoot confetti out of, and you're hosting this week and you're just like, hey, it's episode 100, how are you guys? I'm a little disappointed, Brad. (laughs) We have a whole raft of festivities. We got special events planned. We construct a special stage. Nickelback is going to be here later in the show. <laughs> We've got lots of stuff going on. I just didn't get to it yet, but <laughs> we got nothing but special stuff for the fans tonight. Speaking of which, you got to it before I did, but you are absolutely correct, sir. We are into triple digits here at the show. Episode 100. Corey, did you think we'd ever make it this far? I mean, I sus- I don't know. I mean, I suspected we would, like... But it's something I never really thought about. I still think back to whenever we decided to start doing this, whenever you invited me down this journey with you and asked if I would be interested in podcasting with you. Um, After I was lucky enough to guest star on the Game Critics podcast probably like three or four times. And the one time that I was in Seattle and we podcasted in real life with Carlos Rodella, which was probably like my favorite podcast recording ever because we were all in the same room. Um... But uh, I don't know, like I still think back to being in the apartment in Omaha and starting there and we recorded like three or four shows in what, like a couple of nights and then we published them all at the same time. So that way we could get everybody like a bunch of stuff out the door like quickly and then we went weekly from there and then I like moved to New Orleans and now I live here and now we're still doing the show and... I don't know. It's it's bizarre. I'm definitely happy we're still doing it, and I don't think there's any like threat to the show's existence, like in the near future, by any means. Um, but yeah, episode one hundred, episode one hundred. Here we are, Brad. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy because um, it took us a long time to break a hundred on the original GameCritics.com podcast. Which was a great show. I'm sure those episodes are still available online somewhere. Um, But yeah, it took us a long time because it was always like the scheduling was a nightmare because we always had at least three or four people and everybody had a job and everybody had a wife and kids or whatever. And we were never playing the same thing. Uh, So we never had like anything that we could talk about in common. And everybody, you know, some people wanted to podcast for like two hours. Some people wanted it to be like a half an hour show. And it was like there was so many different competing forces on that show and we got together we had a great crew it was uh, a wonderful bunch of guys and you know you were part of that of course as well uh, as the years went on which was great but it was difficult it was difficult to keep that show going and when we stopped doing that show my, I mean in my in my mind I was like I still feel like there's a niche here I still feel like there's a role for a podcast in association with game critics I feel like we can line things up I feel like the energy can be good I feel like we can make it happen and 
Not to toot my own horn, but I was right. I was correct, <laughs> as I usually am, because we hit episode 100, and it feels like it's been a blink of an eye, sir. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but it feels like it's been like we just started this podcast last week. It doesn't feel like it's been a million years. It doesn't feel like it's hard work. It doesn't feel like we're trudging through this. It doesn't feel like an obligation. It feels like it's super fun, and it feels like like literally... I asked you last week, hey, Corey, would you like to do this? And now episode 100, here we are. I mean, how do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, that feels pretty similar. The thing that I think is the most, perhaps the most bizarre to me is like, you know, you and I, we get together once a week. We talk for anywhere from an hour to sometimes like three plus hours, you know, on a rare occasion where we do like a super long show. And, you know, we slate um, anywhere from probably three to like 14 games <laughs> per show. And um, we will so, break you know. that record. We will. We'll get there. <laughs> so like, you know, sometimes we talk about a few, sometimes we talk about a lot, but I think the thing that's fascinating for me, and I don't like, I, this might sound rude and I don't mean this to sound bad, but like there's only, and maybe it's because it's so regular when we do this. And I don't know if this is how you feel or not, because it's just a weekly thing for us. But like when I think back on all the shows we've recorded, I there's only like a small handful of shows that I like particularly remember recording and remember things I said and remember stuff we talked about because it's just so regular that it just kind of like blurs by, you know, whenever you get together and you talk about stuff once uh, once a week like this and you know, we're not, we do put a script together, but we're not like super, um, you know, tightly wound or high strung about like what we talk about or about the topics or about the games or about, you know, we have to have 10 games every show or we have to have four games every show. We just kind of do the show every week, however we want it. But um, I mean, how, like whenever you think back to all the shows we've done, do you, like, do you remember everything we talk about? Or do you just remember, like, little pockets of stuff we talk about? Because I definitely, there's only, like, bits and pieces of stuff where I am I think back to, like, yeah, I really liked those, like, four episodes. I think I said something important, like, on that one episode that one time, and the rest of it's just, like, a blur. Um, but how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, pretty similar to you. I mean, there's definitely high points uh, of the show that I really thought we did a great job or that were really memorable or really funny. I mean, I love the funny moments. Or just parts where I felt like, you know, yeah, this was like a really cool discussion. I'm really glad that not only that we talked about it, but that we were able to share it with all of our listeners. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely moments. You can't remember all of it, dude. I mean, especially at my age. I mean, come on. I just, you know, <clears throat> if I remember to get the house with my shoes on, it's a win. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I think about all the stuff we've done. I don't remember all, but like definitely some great highlights. I mean, was there, I have a few, but was there, were there any highlights that you thought were particularly good or particularly like noteworthy? Um, the one that I always, I don't even know if this is like particularly noteworthy, but the one that I always remember is there was one show where I was talking at length about like feminism in regards to, um, God, I cannot remember her name right now, but the woman who plays uh, Hermione in the Harry Potter movies, Emma Watson. Um, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. she was she was on the cover of like Vanity Fair or something, and I went on this re- really long rant about like feminism and about her, the choices she makes and like the acting that she does and how she wants to present herself. And I also remember listening back to it because this is one of those moments where it's 3 a.m. and I'm about to fall asleep, and then I remember something really embarrassing that happened in my life, and I jolt awake and can't go back to sleep because on that episode. 
I said that she was gonna be in Sleeping Beauty at one point because I was just talking so fast that I got ahead of myself, but really it was, uh, it was, what was it, Cinder, no, Beauty and the Beast. Cinder, Beauty, Beauty and, and the Beast. Beast, thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah. even getting it wrong now. I remember like th- talking about Beauty and the Beast, Beauty and the Beast, and then at one point I was getting so ahead of myself that I was like, blah, 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 Emma Watson and Sleeping Beauty and blah, 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 and then I listened back to it to edit it, and I was like, oh, son of a bitch, that moment. I'm sure everybody who listened to the show, they probably just unsubscribed right there because they were like, oh man, this guy doesn't even know what movie she's going to be this in. This guy can't get He's his a- Disney <laughs> movie straight. What a fucker. What a fake Disney fan. <laughs> but I, I, for some <clears throat> stupid reason, that's one episode that I always remember doing just because I feel like I was, I don't know, kind of hot on fire on a rant about feminism and about, you know, women being able to make whatever choices they want and sort of like straightening I don't know a little bit of the discussion around it. Uh, and I also think back to a couple episodes because we've only done two episodes where we've had guest stars on. Uh, we had Carlos, who I just talked about a minute ago, uh, Carlos Rodella, I kind of returned the favor for him, letting me podcast. And you guys did a podcast for a long time. Um, had him on the show once, and then we had Game Critics friend of the show and fellow Game Critics writer Daniel Weissenberger on the show. Um, God, so we, we definitely we had Dan. Yeah, what did of he talk we about? Had Dan on. He talked about um, the mummy that the mummy video game that was like the two D oh, side scroller. That's right. That's um, right. I feel like there was one game in particular. I can't remember what his like headlining mm-hmm. game was, but I feel like there was one kind of big release that maybe he and I had both played and he came on and we talked about it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It's kind of fun to think back about whenever we did a few things that were a little bit outside the box and had guest stars and stuff on. And I'm sure in the future we'll have more uh, guest star slots. Uh, I know Carlos has hit us up uh, somewhat recently about coming back on the show and I would definitely love to have him back. The only problem with guest stars is that it's more, I don't want to sound like a whiny complainer, but it's more... Um, just more time editing, more time recording, more time just trying to coordinate that stuff whenever you add like a third element into the mix. Uh, but I think definitely the work is worth it and it pays off well. And then we get to spotlight other people in the community on our show. So those are things that I think about. Interesting you say that because we do get, I mean, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I've had a number of people who say they want to be on the podcast. And I'm always like, well, you know. We'll see. I mean, I can't make any promises. It's a two-man show, you know. And I know that you do all the heavy lifting when it comes to editing, so I don't want to make any... I don't want to speak for you, you know. I mean, we're equal partners in this. Uh, but I guess at this point, I would be... I would like to hear from the listeners if there was somebody that they really want us to talk to. I mean, part of the requirement for me in my mind is that I don't want to talk to anybody unless I have a really good sense of them in my mind. Like, I don't want to have somebody on and just, like ask generic questions and just be like oh this is just like a pr spot for you and we don't we haven't played your game and we're just asking generic questions and tell us about you know whatever no i want to talk to somebody who like we like really give a shit about like on a personal level because that's like where the real good chat comes out you know like i mean i know carlos really well he's a good guy and of course i know dan he's been with the site for years um so like if we had anybody on i would really want to like i would either have to like know them really well or i would have to be like a really big fan of their game because i would want to know everything about the game because then I could ask like really deep and probing questions and ask, you know, not just like the, Oh, where'd you get your inspiration? But like, you know, like how did you come up with this thing or, or why did you make this particular choice or et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, I I wouldn't be, I would be up for that, I guess, I suppose if you're up for it. So maybe if we could ask the listeners right now, listeners, who do you want us to talk to? Is there anybody you're like dying to have, uh, us talk to on the show? I mean, I would love to get your feedback because I mean, I have a few people, maybe you've got a few people. I know a few people want to be on, but, 
we haven't really like pulled the trigger very often on that. And that's fine. I don't think we need to have a bunch of, of guests, but if we do have somebody, I, I would want it to be something that was worth the effort, you know, like somebody where the, the fans really want to hear and we really want to talk to them. So fans, if you're listening, uh, who do you want us to talk to? Let us know. They're probably going <clears> to <throat> say a bunch of like really um, like silly. Uh, I'm trying to think of somebody like really prominent in the games community that would be like like never come on the show you know that's like really yeah i'm busy. not gonna i'm not gonna email kojima's people and ask him to be on the show so just <laughs> just get over that that's not gonna happen uh so you know anyway anyway so anyway but interesting one of my favorite moments just since we're on this topic i'm, I'm actually surprised you didn't say this i think this is probably one of the top moments for anybody who oh listens to our show you know, know as, soon, say, right? as soon as i don't know but i know <clears throat> as soon as you say it i'm gonna be like oh yeah of course that thing uh, the Tea Room episode. That is probably oh, one of my favorite episodes. Oh, yeah. God damn I mean, it. I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yeah, that I was, totally thought you were going to bring it up for one. sure. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I thought that was a great... Not only was it a great game, because it was super interesting, and it had something to say, and it had issues, and it was something that a lot of people hadn't heard about, uh, but also, like, it totally tied into, you know, mostly you in terms of your personal experience, but also I, I definitely got a lot out of it as well. And I think it was such an interesting discussion and relevant. I mean, it, it really tied everything into one little bunch that, like, game critics, and I, and I think that also that us, so video games, try to do as often as we can is, like, have games, you know, coincide with life, with, with being a person, with issues, with being, you know, men or being partners or being gay or whatever. Like, having issues that are in games that you can talk about, not just not just, just game games, but, like, I love things that really tie all that stuff together. I, I thought that was a wonderful discussion, and I know that a lot of people picked that as their favorite episode uh, for good reason. I thought uh, you really brought a lot to the table uh, in that particular episode, and I, I really enjoyed that one a lot. So that was definitely one of my favorites for sure. Yay. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't think about that because that, um, that was a really good episode, especially because, I mean, I am always up for a game like that where... Like, yeah, the game looks kind of silly and it's kind of cartoony and, you know, scandalous in a way. But once you actually play it and kind of peel back the layers of what's going on, you realize that it has a lot more going on under the surface than you originally thought it did. And that game is like, it's a prime example of that kind of thing where, you know, you think it's one thing, you think maybe it's silly, you think it's repetitive. But once you finish it and kind of see what all it has to say, it actually turned out to be... Uh, something really intense and something really meaningful and it even taught me stuff that I didn't know about gay culture in a way and about like the history of policing uh, homosexuality within the United States I guess so I, it was uh, really full I mean yeah half the game is just you like sucking gun dicks but it really <laughs> it really like went somewhere and taught me a lot about things that I maybe should have known about in the first place and I'm glad we were able to discuss it on the show yeah, I love those moments. Those are my favorite moments when we're able to, like, incorporate, like, real life. Um, I know we don't often hit politics, but sometimes politics, sometimes about, like, you know, uh, you know, gender roles or, um, you know, sexism or anything. Like, whenever we manage to, to get one of those topics and work that into the game we're talking about, that's always my favorite. I wish, um, I hope that we continue to do that and do it more often. And I, I believe that our real fans actually appreciate that. I know that uh, I know there's a certain contingent of people out there who just wish we would just shut up and talk about games. But, I mean, for <laughs> me, like, you just, you got to talk about that. I mean, that's what kind of games is, you know. It's not just about turning your brain off and detaching from the world, but it's about connecting with something, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, looking through someone else's eyes, having an experience that you wouldn't have on your own if not for this electronic medium. I mean, it's really valuable, and I really want to just talk about that more. So, 
every opportunity we get, I really uh, cherish doing that. So that's one thing I uh, am really excited about and really happy we've done so far. So anyway, just uh, folks, if you're listening, you probably have guessed. We are not sticking to our usual format tonight, uh, if you haven't figured that out by now. Um, yeah, 100th episode, we're going to be doing a little bit um, not the norm. We will be diverging, maybe tangents, organic conversation, whatever. Um, we have some stuff to talk about, but we're going to just flow through this and just kind of uh, go off script for one night. Don't worry. Don't panic. We'll be back on script next time. Um, and, you know, we were actually kicking around a lot of ideas for how to celebrate the occasion. I mean, 100 episodes is a big milestone. Uh, but truth be told, and I'm sure that you'll agree, if you disagree, let me know, but I'm sure you'll agree, Corey, <laughs> that neither you nor I are really big on celebrating special occasions or anything like that. Am I right? Yeah, I think the problem, the, the deep-seated problem here, I don't know if this is a problem or not per se, but is the fact that, I mean, you're a lot busier than I am, but the fact that we're both busy people, and in order, like, truth be told, when you host a podcast every week, you know, it's a pretty big time commitment of sitting down for, you know, blocking out maybe two to three hours of your time to record the show, and then editing it and posting it and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, planning special stuff takes extra time. You know, it takes more time to think about what you want to do. It takes time to write extra stuff in the script, to come up with show notes, to, uh, you know, just kind of conceptualize stuff like that. And uh, truth be told, you and I are busy and um, we are, you know, diverging a little bit from our normal path, like we said, even though we're going to talk about games as usual later on in the show. Um, but we're busy and it takes a lot of time to do special shows and we don't have... Uh, production crew or anything it's just literally you and me and our microphones and our computers so you know we don't have people to kind of do all this stuff for us so we just don't always have the time and the energy and the willpower to do special occasion stuff uh so that's i mean that's pretty much why i think we didn't i mean we are doing like a little bit something different for the show today but we're not doing anything like super duper special yeah. Well, you know, I, I now that you've said that, you're making me think we need to probably give special thanks uh, to our family members. Thanks to Patrick and thanks to my lovely wife, Gina, and thanks to my son, Whitaker, because we're all, you know, you and I are taking time out away from those people every week. And, you know, if there's an event coming up or if there's some quality time that needs to be had or something, and we, we do the show every week because we have this commitment. So I think that we should probably give a thanks to our folks, our family, our support system uh, for letting us do this every week and for not like jumping down our throats about it and being really supportive and being really, you know, being great about it. So we definitely should give a shout out to them. You agree? I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to our lovely families. Um, you know, so we were struggling. Uh, I'm sure people can, uh, people are wondering when is Nickelback coming on? You know, oh, you're looking forward to that. It's, it'll be later in the show. Hold on. Um, so we were struggling with what to do and the best we could come up with was like, like you've already discovered a little bit of a break from a format, but we did ask our listeners for some ideas on how to mark the occasion. And we got a couple of suggestions. Um, uh, good man, Rob Scott, uh, said, Hey, you guys should do a section on telltale, maybe kind of do a retrospective. Maybe that would tie into like our time on the show. Interesting suggestion. Uh, Gabriel, uh, who is sleeper at 79 said nothing but politics talk, which I'm sure would thrill you to no end. No, Corey. absolutely not. Never, <laughs> never, never, never. <laughs> Upsello said, uh, so this is uh, getting back to the thanks part. He would like to hear a podcast hosted by our spouses talking about us and our gaming habits, which I think would be fucking wild. Dude. I love, I love this idea. This that is, is the a best great idea. idea. 
I, that is a great idea. And uh, I looked behind me. My wife is not around. I was going to see if she was going <laughs> to, what kind of face she was making for that. I'll ask her when she gets back if she'd be up for that. Maybe maybe Gina and Patrick could do like a little half an hour sometime or something. That would be kind of dope. I would be kind of into that. That would be really fun. I, uh, I brought this up to Patrick right before we started recording. And he laughed. And I told him, I was like, yeah, if you... If you got on the show and talked to Gina about what we did, all he'd probably just sit down and be like, "Oh, Corey started Deus Ex again this week," and like that would be all of my <laughs> my gaming habits for him. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to this idea because I think there's some some potential gold in this idea. Upsello, that was a really good idea. I like that one a lot. Uh, good man, Thief of Heart said, "Hey, talk about games you never get a chance to talk about." I don't know that that's necessarily a problem for us. Do you feel like there's games that you want to talk about that we don't talk about, Corey? Uh, I feel like this is never a problem for us. Um, I mean, given our gaming habits and given how, uh, you know, how much, especially you play, because you play a lot more than I do, uh, you know, from like getting publisher codes and stuff like that. Uh, I feel like, I mean, maybe this, uh, you know, some listeners are under the impression that we're just sitting on, you know, we play 50 games a week and only choose four to talk about every week. But to be, I mean, at least from my end, to be completely clear, um, I sometimes I'm like struggling to come up with stuff to play for the show, and I'll be, I'll remember like the day before we record, oh shit, I need to like take some time to play something, and so I'll have to like make myself sit down because I spend you know a lot of time working and I do a lot of photography and editing, and I talk about that on the show a lot, but sometimes I really have to really step back and say to myself, all right, I have to sit down and play games tonight, which sound, and I'm not complaining because I don't want it to sound like, oh God, oh, I want to complain about how I have to play video games. That's not what I'm saying right here. But um, sometimes I actually struggle to come up with stuff to talk about during the shows. So we're not, you know, we're not sitting on 50 games a week that we play and then only have to choose like two or three to bring to the table. Um, and sometimes I don't want to speak for you, but I know like last week or the week before, uh, you have a tendency to do, you know, a backlog thing where you play 20 games and then for, you know, a 30 minutes or an hour each a week. And then you come to the show and give us your two cents for about 30 seconds to, you know, five minutes on those games and just kind of one and done them real quick. Uh, so I, f I don't think there's anything that we play that we don't talk about. Am I right? Yeah, I would say so. I think that we're pretty good on that. I mean, that actually was an issue back on the Game Critics podcast because we would have like, you know, at least, at least three or four people. So we'd have to like be really aware of how we were parsing out time. We would try to make as many common games as possible so that more people could talk about them. And at that point when we were recording, it was pretty common for me to have at least two or three games that I was not able to talk about on the show. And that was kind of frustrating. Um, so that was a very real thing um, back then. But on this show, I think we're pretty, we're pretty free form. We're pretty flexible, you know, it's it's no problem for me to do a scattershot of five or ten games in five minutes each, and I don't feel like um, that's an issue anymore. So Thief, rest assured, like we say at the top, if we are playing it, we will be talking about it, and I don't think we have any problems there, so uh, you, we got your back, man. We're going to be talking about everything. Uh, the, next, the next suggestion uh, was also a great one from Finder, who has uh, had several comments. He says, I want to hear... A top 100 games of all time as agreed on by both of you, but keep it to normal episode length shouldn't be too hard, right? Or maybe list off some of your favorite celebrations you've had in life and talk about how the episode 200 celebration will top them all. So I don't know about you. I haven't, I haven't, I don't think I've ever made a top 100 games of all time list. Have you ever made a list like that, Corey? I don't think, I don't think I'm capable of doing that. And I also, 
I kind of hold the feeling that, like, whenever I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see news articles, you know, from gaming communities or movies or whatever that are like, oh, top 10 this or top 50 this or top 25 this or whatever, like, I don't want to talk shit or anything, but I feel like doing top lists of things is just, like, a really boring way to produce content for, you know, a magazine or a game site or a podcast or whatever. And I understand the value in making a top 100 games list of all time, but I ultimately don't feel like that information is super valuable for people because the only thing, and maybe I, I am only speaking for myself here, that when I say if I see a, like an Entertainment Weekly news article that's like, top 25 action movies of all time. The only thing I do when I look through that list is look for movies that I like and see if they agree with them or disagree with them. And then I click away from it and never think about the article ever again. So I feel like I go to them more for validation on like, oh, well, I really like this action movie. If it's not their number one, then this news site is bullshit and I'm never going to read anything here again, which is obviously not true. But uh, I, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> listing things is just sort of like, I, I understand the value in it, but I also feel like it's just kind of there to like validate other people's opinions on what, like on how you share tastes with people on certain things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love lists. I love making lists. <laughs> I am a list maker to the extreme, dude. Um, but I, but for me, uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that that is one of the biggest reasons why you go to a list is because you have favorites, you have your own idea of like where things should rank, and you want to, you know, see how your tastes match up with whoever the writer is, whether you like them or you don't. And just, I mean, that in itself is pretty entertaining. I've I have dipped into doing that many times. I I guilty pleasure or not, I, that is the thing I like to do, and I love to make lists. I just I make tons of lists. I have tons of lists at home. I have lots of lists. But I gotta be honest, I've never made a top one hundred because. I've, I mean, me personally, I just feel like when you start getting into like number 74, like, I mean, is it really that good? I mean, like, is it really that important? <laughs> I mean, you're not, I mean, top 10, sure. I do a top 10 every year and I have like a top 10 of all time. I think 10, I think 10 is pretty significant. If you pick 10 out of all, I mean, I mean, dude, literally I, I, out of all the games I've played in my history, I mean, I've finished probably I mean, probably like like completed at least a thousand or probably fifteen hundred games. I mean, I've played even even more than that games I haven't finished, and so like to pick ten out of all that range must really say something important about those games. Like these are games that I remember after playing all those other ones. Like that to me is really worthwhile. A hundred, like I couldn't tell you what my ninety fourth favorite game of all time was. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> even know what that would even mean, you know. So, um, not a top one hundred, but I do like lists, and I think a top ten is fine. But we didn't, we didn't. Well, it doesn't matter. We didn't do a list anyway, so whatever. Um, I don't know if a top. I don't know. If, I'm sorry. I don't know if an episode two hundred celebration will top uh, our list of celebrations. Well, I mean, it would be pretty easy to top our episode one hundred celebration because all we're doing is talking. Um, I mean, if we did like absolutely <laughs> anything at all for episode two hundred, that would top what we did this time. So I mean, I guess it's probably good we're setting the bar pretty low. We're not gonna like you know shooting for the stars next time, but we'll see how that goes. Um, honestly, these were all great suggestions and they were all really funny, which I really like a lot. Um, so we're going to do none of them. I'm sorry. We're not going to do any of those suggestions. Uh, I love the input though. Our fans are the best fans. Thank you very much for those. Um, and it was great to talk about those, but we're not going to do those because we don't do anything like that. This is so video games. Come on. 
Um, instead, we're going to keep doing what we're doing here. And before we get to actual games, and I promise we will talk about actual games, we don't want to be... Um, I don't want to turn it into a completely bummer episode where all we do is bullshit, because I think nobody would like that. Um, this is a good time to bring up a message that I posted on Twitter a while ago. This is kind of circling back to what we just talked about a few minutes ago about like what we'd like to do, what our favorite episodes were, and like what we like in games. I think we kind of connected on that. Um, so I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, I posted a message on Twitter that was about um, difficulty in games. Do you remember? It, it, my Twitter kind of blew up for like a day. Do you remember that at all? I do remember seeing this. I will read out the tweet, the initial tweet real quickly. So so what had queued this up was I had just uh, gotten up that morning, and as the editor of GameCritics.com, I get a lot of emails, like a shitload of emails every day from developers all across the world. And everybody wants, you know, to me to look at a game or to review a game or post a news article about a game or do an interview. I mean, it's like it's a constant deluge of emails. It's, it's pretty overwhelming. And that particular day, I had read like a string of like 10 or 12 emails like in a row that were all like, we're bringing a brand new hardcore experience game or this game's going to kick your ass or you're going to literally die when you play this game. And I'm like, I, it was too much, dude. Like it was way over the top. And so I just kind of like had my fill that morning. And plus I hadn't had my coffee yet. So that's probably part of it. <laughs> and uh, I, so I tweeted out, I said, instead of another game that boasts, you will die, extreme difficulty, dark, gory, gritty, hardcore, anything. I would rather see... Sophisticated dialogue, nonviolent conflict resolution, nuanced situations, inspired artistry, inclusive design, and diverse representation. And as soon as I tweeted that, I had a lot of people coming at me. I mean, okay, to be fair, a lot of people agreed, and that was great. And I'm clearly a lot of people out there agree, which is fine. Uh, smart people. Uh, but like a lot of people were coming at me, and like the most common thing was there's nothing wrong with violent video games. Which is fine. It's true. I didn't say anything in that tweet about banning violent games or that I didn't ever want to see them again or quit them. I just wanted to see more of other things. Uh, so that response was pretty crazy. Like, a lot of people were pretty heated by that. Uh, and I spent a lot of the day maybe blocking some folks and, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of answering things in detail. Uh, but that kind of circles back. So, you know, we've covered a lot of games over the last 100 episodes. I mean, clearly we can't remember them all. We've covered a lot. The industry has changed over the last couple of years. Uh, but for me, I mean, that's kind of what I would want to see. I would want to see less of hardcore, less of dark and gritty, less of blood, less of violence, and, you know, more diverse perspectives, more story, like actual storytelling, more characterization, characters that are not me, characters that are not white guys. Like, I want to see more of that stuff. So, Corey, like, what would you like to see over the next 100 episodes that we do? Of the games that we are going to cover, what would you wish that we would cover? Well, you, I suspect you already know pretty well how I feel about this, especially because I'm sort of the uh, walking sim expert on the show. And something that I love about walking sims is they generally are not violent. I mean, they are sometimes scary. They're, you know, atmospheric. Sometimes they are horror based. Um, but it's rare that a walking sim is... Uh, you know, hands you a gun and asks you to shoot things because at that point it's just a first-person shooter and it's not the same thing anymore. Um, but I, so I'm pretty behind this idea. I am fascinated by this whole topic though. And I feel like this happens a lot, especially whenever it comes to sort of like the toxic gaming community at large. Like when you say something like you did where you said, hey, I would like to see more games that explore these certain topics and that aren't necessarily about blood and guts and shooting and killing and murdering and, um, you know, hardcore difficulties and you're going to die every five seconds. Because when you, when you say that, 
the people who like those games immediately what they hear is I don't want these games to exist anymore, which is not what you're saying. Not like, at all what I said. Yeah, not even yeah, really. And like and I feel the same way because I I love I mean I love a good shooter. Like don't get me wrong, I love uh you know Deus Ex, Dishonored, Doom. Like I love Doom. I could you know, lightning fast speed my way through shooting rocket launchers at hell demons all day. And I'm totally fine with that and ripping their arms off and using them to hit them in the head after you shoot them a hundred times or whatever. I'm all for those kinds of experiences, but I'm also incredibly open to experiences that are completely, you know, on the opposite end of that. And that's why I love games like uh, what Remains of Edith Finch and Dear Esther and The Vanishing of Ethan Carter and any, you know, sort of... And I, I realize that there are more genres than just shooting things in first person and walking around listening to people talk about things in first person. Um, but that's something that I love about, uh, you know, walking sims or narrative adventure games, if you will, because they often explore topics that just aren't really commonplace for games about shooting people because whenever you have a violent video game or you know something of of the of its ilk they're not usually known for good stories like there are probably only a handful of games i've played in my life that feature a lot of violence that also have stories that i really walked away from thinking like wow that was something really great or really interesting or there were a lot of good ideas explored there um so i mean i'm definitely up for more experiences like that but it's just fascinating to me the way the way, I mean, just to go back to like the idea of the way you can say something and people hear something completely different than what you just said, because I feel like that happens a lot. And I mean, I don't want violent video games to go anywhere. I enjoy them, but I also am open to new experiences. But I just think it's funny when all it takes is you saying, hey, I'd like to see more experiences this way. And suddenly an entire swath of people, the only thing they hear you say is, I don't want violent video games to exist anymore because I, I don't know, just like, communication, I guess, like the ability to listen to what people are saying and respond to what they actually said, I feel like is a skill that is becoming less honed by communities at large over time. And, That's uh, for fucking sure. <laughs> you got a point there. God damn. <clears throat> and there is no place like the video game community to exhibit that. Um, but uh, also to that end as well when we talk about violent video games something something else that i cherish is if you're going to make a video game that lets you that's sort of like you know the main topic is maybe killing people or there is violence involved at least at the very very least give non-lethal options that's why i love deus ex that's why i love dishonored i mean even watchdogs 2 which is a you know, big open world San Francisco drive around, sneak in, shoot people, hack stuff game. That game gave you um, uh, like a stun gun and, and stuff like that. So, you know, that's at the very least give me an option to tranquilize people. Um, but I, I'm all about exploring. And that's why I've been talking about a lot of like indie PC games recently on the show because, you know, we've had a PC, a good gaming PC in the household for about nine months now. And, you know, going down these rabbit holes into interesting sort of Steam and, uh, you know, PC indie games that are pretty non-existent on consoles has been really fascinating for me because there's a lot of games out there that I'm, you know, certainly scratching the surface on that are about exploration and about, um, and about uh, you know, about sophisticated dialogue and about relationships between people and, you know, that are about topics that aren't 
necessarily about like corporate terrorism or hell demons or you know stuff like that or you know uh space marines because for the longest time after halo came out every third game that came out was about space marines or something like that so i'm all about moving into hopefully more and i i mean this trend has been happening for probably about three or four years now where more and more games especially on consoles because they're hard to get there will be about um you know just about stuff that's not about killing people like there's a lot more out there that could be the games could be made about that aren't just about killing things or about blood or guts or whatever and i'm totally open to exploring any and all avenues down that path yeah i'm right with you and there's nothing wrong with violent video games i've killed many a virtual dude over you know in my time at games there's nothing wrong with that at all but i mean the simplest way for me to kind of sum it up is like you know i like i like slasher movies sure i like a good horror movie but i don't want every movie i see for the rest of my life to be a horror movie (laughs) like i enjoy comedies i enjoy romances i enjoy sci-fi i enjoy documentaries it's like you know i'm all i'm asking is for like when you go to the virtual blockbuster video there's more than just the horror section. There is, like, other sections. So I think right now in video games, we got a real big section, which is all about shooting and killing, and that's fine because I love to dip into that once in a while. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's a good time. But the other sections are looking pretty fucking sparse. So all I want to see is a little beefed-up uh, selection there. Anyway, let's move on. We have a couple of, like, random topics. We're going to be just jumping back and forth between here, folks, so bear with us. Um, you may get a little bit of whiplash uh, following us along here. Totally off-topic, um, Corey. Sony recently announced the retro PS1 console, uh, very much like the uh, NES and SNES classics that came out from Nintendo. Going to be launching in December of 2018 for about $99. They've said it will come with 20 preloaded games, including Final Fantasy VII, Jumping Flash, Ridge Racer, Type 4, Tekken 3, and Wild Arms. The other games have not been announced. Uh, I have thoughts. Do you have thoughts? I have so many thoughts about this. What are your thoughts, sir? Okay, my thoughts are, and I tweeted about this a while back. Um, like, okay, so this this classic console situation is getting out of hand. Um, instead of doing this, I ha- how about the novel idea of just putting these games on the PSN and letting you buy them. I think, and I tweeted that a while back and somebody tweeted back at me and said, well, why not both? And I actually agree with them. We, how, you know, you can do a PS1 classic, a PS2 classic, a PS3 classic, an NES classic, an SNES classic, a freaking Dreamcast classic, whatever you want to do. But what I would prefer is if that's going to exist to also have a library of those games available on the PS4. Because what pisses me off the probably the most about anything Sony has done this console generation is on the PlayStation 3, last console generation, um, I was more of an Xbox 360 guy. I think you and I both were pretty hard yeah, for I was Xbox as well. 360. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And then when the Xbox One launched... Uh, to tumbleweeds uh, you and i both kind of jump ship to playstation 4 which is something i never thought i would do i thought i was going to be microsoft forever and ever and ever but you know here we are playing ps4 all the time but one thing that really really i think that sony like uh like colossally fucked up and i have no idea maybe there's a bunch of internal reasons why they haven't done this you know obviously i don't know anything about the way they run the company is on the PlayStation 3, they had and still have this giant catalog 
of PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games that are available to buy. I mean, they're probably anywhere from $5 to $20 or something, depending on the game and the year it came out and everything. And it is a solid catalog. They have a lot of stuff on there. They have stuff like Silent Hill, which is a classic. They have all of the Resident Evil games, you know, Resident Evil Director's Cut, Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. Um, they just have, you know, Final Fantasy VII. I remember at one, I think it was at an E3 uh, during the PlayStation 3 era when they revealed they were finally bringing uh, Final Fantasy VII to the to the console, to PlayStation 3 for, uh, you know, to buy for like 10 or $20 or whatever on the console. That was like a big thing. And I cannot understand for the life of me why they did not take that whole um, marketplace, that whole PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games marketplace and put it on the PlayStation 4. And I realize it's not as easy as, you know, uh, highlighting a bunch of code on the PlayStation Store, hitting copy, and just pasting it into the PlayStation 4 marketplace. Like, I understand it probably takes a lot of work and a lot of back-end uh, you know, tweaking and developing a lot of time to do that kind of thing. But I will never understand for the life of me why they will not just bring that perfect marketplace of games, bring it over to the PS4 and continue to expand upon it instead of treating consumers like a bunch of 12-year-olds and saying, oh, we're going to give you this $100. I mean, $100 isn't a lot of money, but it's not an insignificant amount of money. And instead of saying, you know, we're going to give you this $100 console that's probably going to sell out in 35 seconds online and give you 20 games that we think you'll like on this console, and we're not even going to tell you yet what all the 20 games are, and that's what you're stuck with. Like, I, I you know, the NES Classic was fun and novel whenever it happened, but this whole thing is getting out of hand, and I wish that... Sony, and even Nintendo at this point, because Nintendo had a great virtual console on the Wii U, of all places, on their, like, worst console. They had a great, uh, you know, kind of a backward-compatible marketplace, if you will. And now that the Switch is out, I have no doubt in my mind that they're going to probably keep bringing stuff over from Switch, or maybe we'll one day unveil a better uh, marketplace for it. But instead of putting out these dumb consoles, and I know they're making a lot of money on them because they sell out immediately, um... Just give us a better marketplace for games. Like, this is so dumb, and it's really insulting as a consumer for them to treat us like children and handpick games and charge us $100 for them instead of just giving us a digital marketplace to buy the games we want on them. Like, I, I just don't, I don't get it, and I don't understand how Sony like wouldn't make it a priority to give us a better marketplace of games like maybe they have some crazy like capitalist reason for you know they've have a bunch of pie charts in a room that says that this classic console will make more money in a week than you know it'll cost them to port the entire playstation 3 and 2 and 1 catalog over to playstation 4 or whatever so maybe they like have you know reasons or whatnot but i just don't get it like microsoft one thing they've been doing really well this console generation is backpedaling and implementing a lot of backwards compatibility on the Xbox One between Xbox One games, Xbox 360 games, and even Xbox games, like old Xbox games. They continue to roll out more games and make them backwards compatible. And we're not even talking about a marketplace here. Like they do come to the marketplace when they're backwards compatible and you can buy them if you want. But if you have the old discs, you can just play them without having to pay anything extra. And I feel like Sony would be really smart to jump on that bandwagon and keep and do that because 
they had the perfect marketplace on PlayStation 3, and they just dropped the whole thing when the PlayStation 4 came out. And I, I just don't, I don't understand their decision making behind that. It just baffles me. Yes, I have to admit, you took that in a total direction that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> so <laughs> I was bracing for a different answer, but I'm going to take that answer. That's a really good answer, and I 100% agree because you actually reminded me. Um, I have a bunch of consoles set up all at, at, at the same place, all sharing the same TV. And when I got the PS4, I remember being very surprised that the, the store that was on PS3 did not carry over. Uh, I remember, like, for a, for a good long while, every every Tuesday when the PSN store would update, I would go to the PS4 store and see what was new for PS4, and then I would turn off the PS4 and turn on the PS3, because then I could see what was new for PS3 and what was backwards compatible and what was on the Vita. Like, you could see all that stuff at the same time on the PS3, and I'm like, why is this stuff not on the PS4? I kind of expected all that stuff to carry forward, and I, I had totally forgotten about that until you just brought it up. So, yes, 100%. Agree. I think they're missing a big trick. I wonder if they're still trying to get PS Now off the ground. Um, I've heard they made some changes to that, but I still think it's you know not as good as just like putting all that stuff in the store. Who knows? Um, so yes, one hundred percent agree. Uh, and really quickly, what I th- was hoping to get out of you was like, would you be even be interested in even playing these games? Like, do you think they would hold up these days? Would you be down? Or are any of the games they mentioned like interesting to you? Because I mean, for me, I have all these games. I have the discs. I still have a PS1. I still have all the games. So I can play these anytime I want to. So I'm not like Super Jones in to, you know, get like a, a classic console with these games on them. But to be perfectly fucking honest, dude, like, I don't think these games would really hold up that well if you went back to them. <laughs> I mean, they might be kind of fun for like novelty, but like, I have a real hard time imagining anybody's going to want to play Ridge Racer when the new consoles can do driving games so much better. Or like, you know, I mean, Tekken 3. I mean, good game, nothing wrong with it, but, like, you know, it looks old and dated, and there's been, like, multiple Tekken since then. I I'm, I must assume that anybody who's wanted to play Final Fantasy VII by now has probably played it, and, uh, you know, for me, it's never been one of the better Final Fantasies. So, I don't know, I mean, do you think that... Do you think that these are going to hold up? People will still be as interested as people have been with the NES and Super NES? Because, obviously, they're trading on nostalgia quite a bit, but most of the people I've talked to anecdotally of course um who got one of those retro consoles they were like oh it was totally dope i got it home plugged it in it was great played it for about half an hour played like two minutes of each game and then i never played it again and i'm like that's kind of what i expect like you buy it because it looks cool because you got the nostalgia because you're excited but like i just i have a hard time believing these games are gonna hold up in today's environment what do you think uh i agree with that i feel like I mean, because that's exactly what happened to us. Like, Patrick really wanted the uh, NES Classic and SNES Classic, and he ended up buying an NES Classic somewhere and sending it to his dad for, like, his dad's birthday or something. Um, And we bought an S... Like, one day at Target, I randomly saw an SNES Classic. Uh, It must have gotten restocked that day or something because they sell it so quickly. And I called Patrick and said, hey, do you want me to buy this for you? And he said, yes. And... That's exactly what happened with us. Bought it, brought it home, plugged it in. It's still plugged into the TV right now in the living room. Um, Played it for 20 minutes, and it's been gathering dust ever since. Um, I think it's important, um, and there's a lot to be said. I mean, a lot of people that are are a lot smarter, a lot more experienced, a lot more embedded in the industry have said this, uh, you know, bigger and better than I have. But it's important that games, even really old games, continue to be available you know, because they are their products and their works of art and they deserve to be out there. It's just like movies. Like 
you know, you can go into a Best Buy and find movies from 50 years ago or movies from 100 years ago or whatever, but you can't go into a Best Buy and find an NES game or an SNES game. And I think it's important that the marketplace of games continues to be available for all consumers. But I don't think an NES Classic and an SNES Classic and a PlayStation 1 Classic is the way to do it. I think that's um, a really slimy cash grab from Sony and Nintendo and whoever else decides to do this kind of thing. Um, I mean, they're obviously putting it out as, you know, a value added. Hey, look, we're re-releasing the stuff. These games that you love, that you played 20 years ago, that you grew up with, that you'll want to play again, that you'll want to introduce to your kids or whatever. But I don't think this is the best um, delivery method for putting these games out in the world. And I think the exact same thing is going to happen when the, the when the PlayStation 1 classic version comes out. Because the day that Sony announced it, my Twitter feed was like overjoyed. Everybody talking about, oh, I can't wait to pre-order this. I can't wait to buy it. This is so great. I love it. What a great idea. Blah, blah, blah. And that's totally, like, if that's something people want, that's fine. This console is going to have no problem selling at all. It'll probably be just like the Nintendo ones where it comes out, it sells out, it gets restocked every six months, sells out, you know, uh, and rinse repeat for a year or whatever. And if people want it, that's fine. And I don't want to, like, deny people, you know, buying a product or whatever. I just don't think this is the best way to do it. And I think it's just a bad cash grab. And I don't, I mean, I don't think the games will hold up as well as people think they will. But I also don't think that that is as important. I think the fact that they're available at all kind of supersedes whether people actually want to play them or whether they are playable. Um, but I just don't think this is the best delivery method for this kind of thing. I hear you. I And I totally agree. I mean, we're on the same page. I mean, I've gone on the record many times as being 100% in, in support of, like, you know, archiving games and making them available. I would love to see, like, a a library of Congress sort of a thing for games where these games just don't vanish into the ether, you know? Like, we need to have these available because that's how an art form advances. Like, you study what's come before, you learn, and then you iterate. And that's just, I mean, that's how it works with all human arts. I mean, painting, movies, music. You don't create in a vacuum like you look at the world around you you look at what's come before and you build on it so i totally agree totally agree i think we're on the same page um i am not going to pre-order one because like i said i've already played these games i still have them so i don't really have any need to do this uh you going to pre-order or nah absolutely not never in a million years okay all right well let's move on but still stay on the topic of ps1 games uh quick question for you Corey: have you ever played the legend of dragoon which came out on <laughs> ps1 um, I am aware of it. I had a friend in high school who was in love with it, but I was never really into that genre, sort of like the JRPG-esque genre of games. So I never played it because it wasn't really my bag at the time. But I know someone who really likes it, I, but it's not really my thing, so I never tried it. So I bring this up because we at Game Critics ran a review for The Legend of Dragoon 18 years ago. <laughs> Let me say that one more time for the people in the cheap seats. 18 years ago. And I will tell you, we've mentioned this. I, I've, I've talked about it on Twitter a few times. If you listen to the Game Critics podcast, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, we constantly get hate mail for people who hate our review of Legend of Dragoon. We have gotten hate mail for this review for 18 years, Corey. I am not even fucking kidding. <laughs> it kind of got quiet for a while, and then we got a whole bunch just like a couple days ago. Uh, one guy sent in a couple, and he must have inspired a couple other people. 
and I don't know what it is. I don't know why people give a shit about this game because I played it back then when it was new. I did not like it. I thought it was like a really cheapy kind of a one-off from Final Fantasy VII. I, I didn't think it was any good. I don't think I even finished it. And our reviewer, who was Ben Hopper, a good friend of mine, Ben Hopper, who eventually got into the games industry and is still living in the area. Real good guy. I love Ben. Uh, you know, it was like when Game Critics was just getting off the ground. Like, we'd only been a site for, like, maybe, I don't know, like, two years or something. Like, we just were still kind of finding our way. We were still seeing what worked and what didn't in terms of reviews and still kind of, you know, like, we were not the finely uh, honed machine that we are these days. I mean, so, like, like 18 years ago, dude. And so, you know, we, Ben published a review, which, in hindsight, you know, maybe wasn't the best review he could have done. There was a couple things in there that <laughs> I'm sure he would take back if he could. Uh, but, again, he was 18 years younger. I mean, dude's, like, he's lived, like, his life again. Like, like he was only 18 or 19 when that review was written. So he has, like, doubled his lifespan in the, in the time that has passed since then. Uh, it's just it's just amazing to me that we continue to get hate mail for that review over and over and over. And in fact, Ben got so much hate mail, he actually wrote an article about all the hate mail that he got. He did some <laughs> investigative journalism on all the people that wrote to him. And it turned out that one of the nastiest people was like this like 11-year-old kid who was like using his dad's like um, Yahoo account or something oh like that. Oh, my God. So that was an interesting thing. You can go back and read that article on Game Critic. It's still there. The review of Legend of Dragoon is still there. And I just, I didn't really have a point to this. I just wanted to bring it up that I find it hilarious and weird and bizarre and sick and wrong and scary that like in the age of the internet, you can like, whatever you write is forever, dude, because we wrote this fucking review 18 years ago, still, <laughs> still getting hate mail for it. It's never going to go away, dude. It's never going to go away. In fact, the Legend of Dragoon people are even more psycho than the people who like Final Fantasy Crisis Core, because that was the first the first champ for a while like crisis core a review really pissed a lot of people off but even those people are not as crazy as the legendary human people those people are the true like really unhinged folks so anyway i thought it was just bizarre that we keep getting um hate mail for that it's never gonna go away never never gonna go away are you looking forward to being on your deathbed in like 50 years and somebody like coming up to you and handing you responses to your god of war review that you wrote <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna be laying in my deathbed i'm gonna have my neural implant because we're all gonna be jacked into the web all the time right and like a little overlay is gonna come over my eyes and it's gonna be like beep beep email received god of war i'm like oh my god i'll never escape it <laughs> all right all right moving on Corey, you got something um you've got a few notes down here uh spider-man versus vr what's that about it sounds like a really bad movie <laughs> I have, okay, so yeah, I have a handful of topics. Um, none too deep, but um, so I thought you would get a kick out of this story. This is a short story I have to offer you. Um, and did you truth, write this short story? I did not. I did not write the short story. It is oh, a thing okay. that happened to me, and I'm going to recite um, okay, the details right. on the show. So in true fashion of me trying to do things with people, um, you know, like, do you ever have that scenario where... I mean, I guess you probably don't have as much free time as I do, but there's often, or maybe you did whenever you were younger, where you you would sit at home, maybe it'd be a weekend, maybe you'd be off work, maybe you wouldn't have a lot going on. This, I swear to God, this happens to me all the time. I will be home and I will not have anything going on, and I will maybe reach out to like one person to see if they want to hang out, and then they'll text me back like a day and a half later and be like, oh, sorry, I was busy. But the second that I reach out to more than one person to see if somebody wants to hang out, all of a sudden, like, eight people all want to do something at the same time with me. It never fails. 
So this, I mean, not eight people. This is like a two-person story. But last weekend, I'd been trying to hang out with one of my parkour friends, Ian, because I think I talked about on the show before, um, whenever I got Spider-Man on PS4, like a few of my friends kind of came out of the woodworks and told me that they wanted to play it and they wanted to try it and they were interested in, in playing it. And these are people that don't have PlayStation 4s, um, that don't play video games as much as I do. So... I've been trying to get my friend Ian to come over to play it, but he's been busy, you know, busy this weekend, busy that weekend, doing whatever. And so I was trying to make plans with them this weekend to see if he wanted to do anything. And by this weekend, I mean the one that, like, just happened because we're recording on Monday. And so he ends up coming over. And, of course, one of my other parkour friends, Peyton, he was also free. He was doing stuff in New Orleans on Saturday night. And so he texts me out of nowhere and is like, hey, can I come over tonight? I've got some stuff going on in New Orleans, but I'd love to come by and see you and Patrick for a little while. And I was like, sure, of course, whatever, you know, of course, come on over. Like, I don't, don't really care who's uh, in my house at any time. That doesn't sound the way I wanted it to, but so <laughs> Peyton and Ian both come over. They're both super interested in playing Spider-Man and Peyton got here first, and he was here for about a half an hour before he had mentioned wanting to play Spider-Man, and I was working on the computer at the time, and so I told him, I was like, hey, um, like, just so you know, Patrick bought this VR set, he bought an HTC Vive, like, maybe VR would be something you'd want to try, because it's here, and it's interesting to do, and he was, like, kind of interested, but in reality, he was basically like, oh, no thanks, I'd rather play Spider-Man. And so when Ian came over, it was basically like the same thing. I was Patrick and I were like, hey, we have VR. Like, if you want to try it, um, you know, you maybe don't have the opportunity to try VR a lot, and here it is. And they were basically both like, no, fuck VR. We'd rather play Spider-Man. So they both played Spider-Man for hours and didn't, like, care about the VR set at all. And they were just like, yeah, whatever, VR, who cares? We want to play Spider-Man. And so I thought you would find that amusing because you're always, like, not super interested in VR. And they were like really itching to play Spider-Man and didn't really care about the HTC Vive at all. Yeah, I mean, not to be that guy or anything, but I mean, <laughs> just honestly, like, I just don't get a lot of people who are really psyched about it. Like, I listen to a lot of game podcasts, and there's always, like, one dude who's like, oh, they just released a new thing in VR, and it's great, and then they ask him about it, and it ends up being, like, some kind of tech demo type thing or something. And then everybody just continues on with real life and talks about standard games, and especially with Spider-Man, Everybody and their brother is, like, itching to play that, and it's had, like, so so much, like, wide mass market appeal. It's definitely one of the, like, it games this season. So I'm not too surprised, but, yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I know that you really like VR and you're exploring it now, and that's really cool, and I'm in support of that. Uh, but I just, I just don't have any jazz for it, and I just, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, it was cool for a minute, and uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know. There's another. There's another case in point right there. If you can't get parkour guys to do VR, then who can you get to do it? I don't know. I mean, I guess parkour Spider-Man is kind of parkour adjacent, so maybe that was more interesting to them. But I don't know. I thought it was amusing. Like, oh, here we have this $500 VR headset that maybe you've never done before. Oh, and we also have Spider-Man, and they're both just wanted to play Spider-Man, and that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I am amused. You can definitely chalk me up in the amused <laughs> column for sure. Uh, moving down the script here, Minecraft music. What is this all about? I no, Don't tell me you started playing Minecraft. No, I did not start playing Minecraft. Um, I just wanted to give a little shout out. I don't... Uh... I feel you have said on the show before that you're not super into listening to music. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I don't not like music. I just don't ever really do it. I don't know. I just, I'm always busy. And <laughs> whenever I'm writing or whenever I'm doing anything creative, I have to have like total silence. I know that kind of weirds some people out. I know my wife is more of a put something on in the background kind of a person. My son is that way also. But for me, if anything is going like anything audio is going on, I just can't focus. So for me, I'm like, I got to have a really quiet room and I'm always busy doing like writing or editing or reviewing. So I, I, I tend to be like in quiet spaces more often. So I don't I, I, I like music just fine, though. Well, okay, so I I just want to take a minute to talk about music real quick because I don't talk about this often on the show, um, but this is also video games adjacent, so I'm really like tying this in. Uh, so there, the guy, there's a guy named Daniel Rosenfeld who goes by the musical handle C, as in just like the letter C four one eight. Um, I guess it's C four eighteen is probably how he pronounces it, but for some reason I always just say C four one eight. And he's a German musician, and he did all of the music for Minecraft. And I never played Minecraft, so I was never... I didn't know if there was a... Like, I don't know. I don't know if the music's good in it. I'm not really sure. Um, But at some point, whenever I was surfing music randomly on... I use Apple Music on my phone, because I have an iPhone. um, And every once in a while, I think they make, like, custom playlists of music that you don't have that they think you'll like based on stuff that you listen to, I think is how it works. Um, if you pay the $10 a month to access Apple music. And at one point I was like, Oh sure. I'm just editing photos. Let's see what they think I will like. And it turns out that they were pretty spot on because I discovered this guy, um, who does all the music for Minecraft and he has a music career outside of just what he does for Minecraft. He's released like, I think like four albums, um, that are totally not, uh, Minecraft related at all, but, This is the kind of music where it is very kind of like ambient in a way, but it's also groovy and it's good music. I love listening to it at the office or if I'm editing photos or something because there aren't any, there aren't very many songs that have words or lyrics in them. Most of it is just, uh, you know, the music tracks themselves. And I really think that he, I don't know how popular he is, so I don't know if I'm going to be talking about this and everybody listening to the show is going to be like, oh yeah, of course, C418, we know exactly who he is, his music's great, or if they're going to be like, what, who's this guy? Um, But just in case anybody, I feel like I see on Twitter a lot that people are out for interesting, sort of like ambient music to listen to when they're working or at the office or, you know, when they're driving or something. And I think his music is really great. But what I want to specifically talk about is... A, he just released a new album, and this is kind of why I'm talking about it, um, on July 20th. So it was, God, it seems like it just came out, but July 20th was like a long time ago. Oh my gosh, I feel like that was just like a week ago. Um, but he released a new album called Excursions, and the thing that I love about this album is that there is one song in particular called Thunderbird that's right in the middle of the album, and it is a 13 and a half minute song yes it is and it i like i i'm struggling to figure out how to put because it's hard you know to kind of describe music it's also kind of hard to describe like perfumes in a way i feel like they kind of fall into the same category (laughs) of like you just have to like experience them to know what they're like in a way (laughs) that is Um, amazing i love that you put both of those things (laughs) in the same bucket that is fantastic yeah so but uh but yeah, C418, like this this song in particular, Thunderbird, I've just been totally enamored with it over the past couple of weeks. And I listen to it, I mean, nearly on repeat, even though it sounds ridiculous because it's like a almost a 14-minute song. But like the song itself, it just like, it's like the perfect 
like masterclass exercise in sort of like an ebb and flow pace of a song because it like starts out pretty quiet and then there's kind of like a groovy section but it's not too groovy and it's not like EDM or you know four on the floor dance music it's nothing like that it's just like it's just groovy enough if I had to really sum it up and then it kind of goes back into like a quieter section and then it brings like the groovy part back but it's like a kicked up like a slight notch more groovy this time and then it kind of fades back down and it's just this like great like 13 minute odyssey of impeccably done kind of musical restraint on not making it too in your face or too dancey or too over the top it's just it just oh god like i can't i can't even explain it that well but it just flows so well and if anybody listening is interested in this kind of stuff where it's just kind of like lightly ambient but slightly groovy music that you want to work to or write to or play video games to or whatever, I cannot recommend uh, C418 enough. His stuff is really good. And please, if you're listening, listen to Thunderbird because it is the bomb. I love it so much. And that's kind of the music I am... um, crushing on right now and I know I like never talk about music on the show so I wanted to just carve out a little section to mention uh to mention him because I think his music is really great and it's also because he did the Minecraft soundtrack so it kind of ties in with video game stuff but yeah I like it well you know one of the fancy things about running our own podcast is we don't have to talk about only video games so we can talk about anything you like to and if you want to bring up music that is perhaps not video game adjacent, one square <laughs> over from being adjacent. We can still do that, and that's totally fine. Speaking of which, I, I this was not in the agenda, but you've reminded me. Uh, I was going through some CDs or something the other day, and I'm sure some of you were like, CDs, what's that? <laughs> I mean, that's like CD, like that's the new records thing. Like, what's a record? Now it's like, what's a CD? Um, I bought a CD from David Byrne and St. Vincent. They, did, they did, a, did a collaboration called Love This Giant. Are you familiar with either of those artists, Corey? I've heard of St. Vincent, but not David Byrne. Is that what you said? Yeah, he was the lead singer for the Talking Heads. I'm guessing maybe you've heard oh, of him at some point. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. So he split off from the Talking Heads a while ago, did his own thing, and uh, he is collaborating with St. Vincent on this uh, particular record. And it's a really interesting record because David Byrne has a very particular singing style, very kooky and offbeat and St. Vincent's style is great. I, I love her voice. It's a really great voice. But the kind of the, the hook to this CD or this, this album is that they were performing it with like a brass band like in the room with them and just kind of like going for it. And if you look up their videos online, you'll see exactly what this looks like. But there is something just so interesting about the way that the singing, which you would not normally associate with a brass band, and this, this like, there's a fucking like tuba player in the back just going for it, dude. <laughs> and like all the brass kicks in and stuff. It's got a really unique sound, and it's very interesting. It's the kind of music that I say has like a lot of math in it because you can kind of hear like the points and the counterpoints and the beats, and it all sounds like a very like finely oiled machine kind of happening. Uh, very cool. I really like that sound a lot. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to that. I uh, played it for my wife and my son. And they both liked it, and it was really interesting. I think probably um, the number one song off of that album is called The Forest Awakes. So maybe check that one out on YouTube. And if that seems like your jam, maybe check out the rest of the album. All of the songs are equally as good as that. And they're all just really cool and weird and kooky. And I, I got it. So just take it for me. Like it sounds pretty much unlike anything else you've heard, just the way that that brass kicks in. So check that out. Um, moving on down the list of topics here. Corey, switch backlog. Switch backlog? You just bought a Switch. How can you have a backlog? What's up? I have 
I yes, I have a confession to make. I have well, okay, so I have a backlog on Switch already. It's not very big, but the thing that I'm enjoying about the Switch also is that about once a week I go on the Nintendo shop to see what's new and what's going on. And unlike a lot of other consoles, sometimes Switch games are on sale for very cheap. And by very cheap, I'm talking like 99 cents, like $1.99, $2.99. And generally, if a game is on sale on Switch for anything less than, or anything fewer than maybe $3, maybe $5, if it's in a genre that I think I might like, I'm just like, yeah, I'll buy it. I mean, what's like $3 for a game on Switch? I already like the platform. I already enjoy, you know, what I've played on it so far. And I'm, you know, constantly looking to build up a little bit more of my library on it because I've only played a couple games that I sort of know that I've played before to kind of get a feel of the console. So this, I don't know if this would be considered maybe like a little preview of, you know, what I might be talking about in the future on the show, but I have a few games in my Switch backlog, and it's stuff that I haven't seen anywhere else, which is also kind of fascinating to me. I'm sure these games are probably on PC. Maybe they're like buried somewhere deep in the PlayStation Network store, but a few that I just want to give shout outs to, and I haven't played, I've only played uh, like one and a half of these so far. Um, I bought two, uh, scary first person, like walking sim games that are sort of, uh, Soma like they're probably not going to be as good as Soma because Soma is a breathtaking masterpiece in video games. So I'm not expecting them to be as good. But like when I think about the switch, I don't think about playing scary first person sort of sneak around games. There's, There's a lot of scary games in that switch shop, dude. Yeah, and like it seems like every week, whenever I open up the now the the I almost said the PSN when I open up the Nintendo Shop, I see like a new like weird first person horror game that I've never heard of on sale, and I'm like, this is weird. Like I wouldn't expect those to be on this console, and I think that it's a good fit because to be completely honest, if you're playing a game, and I've done this before, even with the iPhone games on a small iPhone screen, if you put headphones in and you're like alone in the house and you're curled up on the couch with you know a blanket cover covering up half your body and you're playing a video game and the screen is right in front of your face it is just as effective as playing a video game on like a 60 inch 4K TV like just because like with the switch or with an iPhone or an iPad or whatever it's right there in front of your face and you're holding it you know I don't know 12 inches away from your face it really immerses you in it because it's really close, even though the screen is really small. So I don't think it's a bad thing that these games are on here. The troubling thing about first-person horror games is that I've done this before. I do this like every time I buy one that I'm not actively looking forward to is I have to be in a very specific mood to want to play them. I mean, there's a big difference between wanting to jump into Spider-Man on PS4 and swing around the city for fun and fight some dudes and then, you know, kind of get in and get out. But whenever you jump into a first-person horror game, like, you really have to be in the mood for it. And I, it's, uh, it's a hard thing because I feel like I never am in the mood for that kind of stuff. But I have two on Backlog right now. One is called Hollow, and one is called, I think it's pronounced Fantaruk. It's P-H-A-N-T-A-R-U-K. Um, oddly enough, the games both look very similar to each other. They're, I think they're both like you're in outer space in a space station and it's first person. There's maybe monsters around the, I don't know, space station and you have to sneak around. And I know uh, Fantarook deals with uh, transhumanism and about uh, there's like a uh, 
theme in the game about, you know, upgrading your body or like pushing humanity past its limits or something like that. And I have played Fancy Root for about 20 minutes, not super long, but just enough to kind of get into it. But I bought Hollow also, which I, th I haven't played yet, but I think it's a very similar game. Um, and I actually have a game for review right now called Stay that I'm super interested in playing, but I just haven't sat down to play it yet. Um, and I bought another game called... It's called No Thing. Um, no Thing. N-O as in, like, not K-N-O-W, but no, No Thing. And it is called, which I think is hilarious, a minimalistic, surreal action game set in a totalitarian regime of future. Despite the game allegedly taking place in 1994, it is also supposed to be in the future. So it's a very interesting um, premise. The liner notes on the game for the marketing blurb claims that it is, uh, I think it says headache-inducing or migraine-inducing. So I'm not really sure how well that's going to work. But the game itself looks like... Like, is that a feature? Are they telling you, like, hey... We have pioneered headache technology. If you want to fuck your head up, we, we got you covered. <laughs> I mean, feature or I a think, bug? Like, I'm confused. I think it's a feature. Um, I don't know, but I haven't played it yet, but I watched a trailer for it, and it looks like this kind of weird, kind of first-person, like, maze puzzle-y game where you're kind of, like, zipping around these environments in this weird... So it almost looks like a computer simulation. It's very difficult to describe, and I will come back to it whenever, after I've played it a little bit. It looks like the kind of thing, to be totally honest, that I'll play for 30 minutes and never touch again, because it just doesn't super duper look up my alley, because it's a weird, like, puzzle racing. I don't, it looks so weird, like, um, but I think it was only like a dollar or two. So I was like, why not? It looks weird. It looks kooky. It looks interesting. It kind of looks like something I haven't played before. So of course I'll, you know, throw a few dollars that way to, to kind of experience this weird thing. Um, and plus it'll give me something else to play on, uh, on the switch, which I'm always looking for more stuff to play on the switch. Um, and the last one that I bought, which is actually something I'll be talking about later. Um, I did end up buying the way, which is a game that you talked about on our last show, whenever you did your burn the backlog thing, I'm talking about you know, good and mediocre and bad stuff that you had played. Uh, whenever you talked about The Way, I, it seemed interesting, but not, like, super interesting. But lo and behold, I launched a Nintendo shop on Switch, and I think it was on sale for, like, 4 or $5. And I thought, hey, you know, it's cheap. Uh, it sounded interesting enough whenever you talked about it. So um, I'm kind of saving that for my topic for a little bit down the road because um, I played it for about an hour the other night. Um, so I'll talk about it proper later. But those are a few that I have in my backlog that I guess we can look forward to maybe hearing from me in the future. I just don't know, like, ha have you, uh, other than the, other than the way, cause I know you've played it. Um, and I think you have, you're familiar with stay because somebody else has played it for the site. Um, are you familiar with any of the other games I've talked about? I have heard of them, but only in the sense that I scrolled past them in the eShop. Um, <laughs> so stay for sure. We reviewed that and I read the review. So I'm pretty up on that. Interested to play that one. I think it would be a particular challenge because that one has a real time element to it. And that is a problem for me because I'm really, really busy and it can be sometimes really long sessions or a long time between sessions for me. So I've been kind of waiting for a better time to play that. Uh, and I started the way talked about that before. It looked really interesting. Uh, haven't really looked into those other ones because I stay away from scary games. Anybody who w listens to the show knows that I'm not really doing a lot of scary games these days. And like you said, even if it's on the switch, even if it's on a small screen can still be pants wedding for me. So I'm kind <laughs> of staying away. Um, but a good tip, a good tip, um, because you and I are kind of doing the same thing here. What I will do is I will check into the switch shop, you know, once every couple days. Um, I haven't really quite figured out when they release 
seems like some stuff is kind of random, but I'll check into the eShop every couple days. And there's actually been a couple times when I've gone to the entire list. Like, you can get a list of just every single game that's ever been released on the eShop on the Switch. And I go to that list sometimes. And I just put everything that looks even remotely interesting on my favorites list. And I just put that on there. And then, like, every once in a while, I'll just go up to my little icon in the top of the screen, click on my icon, it'll bring up the favorites list, and then I'll just scroll through. And each one that's on sale has a little red flag on it. So you can very quickly look at every single game that you thought was maybe interesting and just see, are any of these things on sale? And like you said, they go down really cheap on the Switch shop. I'm always buying stuff for like one, two, three, and five dollars. I'll I'll risk that much on anything that I think is worth, you know, is worth a shot. But you know, you start getting into 10, 15, 20, and then it's like, nah, I'm gonna wait until I'm definite I want to buy that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I suggest that. I, I suggest uh, putting stuff on the favorites, checking into the favorites list, just scroll through real quick, your eye will catch if there's a red flag on it. And you'll know if it's on sale and just check it out. That's how I get all my Switch games for sure. So for sure. Speaking of what, you didn't pick up Dark Side Detective by any chance, did you? It's on my wish list, but it has not been on sale since it's been placed on my wish list. But if it hits a sale, I am planning on picking it up. All right, cool. I want to give a quick shout out to the Dark Side Detective. I talked about uh, the Kickstarter that they launched for Dark Side Detective Season 2 a couple of shows ago. I want to do just a really quick update. Uh, I really want this game to happen. I loved the first Dark Side Detective. I thought it was funny as shit, really clever. I don't like point-and-click games, but I thought this one was great. It's very fat-free, accessible, bite-sized, smart, sharp. I just, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was a wonderful experience, perfect fit for the Switch. Uh, ate that shit up with a spoon and wanted more. And now <laughs> Season 2 is coming. Right now they are doing a Kickstarter to see if they can get it funded. They are up to about 75% last time I checked. And I think there's about 10 days left. So I just want to get the word out there again. I really love what these guys do. I love the first Dark Side Detective. If you have a Switch or if you're on PC, you've got to check this game out. It is totally worth your time. It is respectful of your time also, which is great. Um, cool as hell, funny as hell. Great point and click for people that don't like point and clicks. And if you like point and clicks, then you will also like this one. So please go to their Kickstarter, throw them five or ten bucks, get this game made, uh, or else I'm going to be super, super sad. Uh, <laughs> because I really want this game to happen. I really want this game to happen. Also, since we're still talking about the eShop, uh, I was thunderstruck to find out that a game called Dokoro is now on the Switch eShop. Did you see it when you were flipping through the games, the recent releases by any chance? D-O-K-U-R-O. I don't think so. I don't call it. Uh, they had zero fanfare, zero PR, no warning whatsoever that this game was coming. And it just hit the eShop. As I was scrolling through, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's on the eShop. I played this game on the Vita a couple of years ago, and it is one of the best puzzle platformers I've ever played in my entire life. It is a brilliant, brilliant game that, like, three people played. I was one of the three. <laughs> I think the developer was the other one. And there's, like, one dude out in Nebraska who played it also. Uh, it is a brilliant, brilliant game where you play as a little skeleton who falls in love with a princess. You guys are kind of trapped in an evil castle and he wants to help her escape. And so it's kind of like, 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 don't, don't vomit when I say this, but it's kind of like escort mission, the game, except oh, no. for, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I was the same way, but trust me, this game fucking nails it. It is so fun and cool and interesting. And every puzzle is something different and new. They, they put, like, the escort mission through every single possible permutation. The the design of the puzzles is fucking brilliant. Like, sometimes you think you know what to do, but then that's not what happens. Or there's all these kind of lateral thinking that you got to do. I mean, 
Art style is super cute. I gave it a 9.5 when I reviewed it, and you know how rarely I go up to the top of the scale. I, I was very close to giving it a 10. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Like I said, one of the best puzzle platformers I've ever played in my life. And I even have it as a screensaver on my Vita because I love this game so much. It is still the screensaver on my Vita. Uh, it's nine bucks. It's nine bucks on the eShop. It would be a perfect fit for Switch. And I know that no one knows what this game is. No one's heard about it. My review is up on Game Critics. You can check it out. Uh, it is. It very, very clearly explains why I think it's brilliant stuff. Uh, I think everybody who has a Switch should check this out if you like puzzle platformers. It is one of the best. One of the best in history. So, <laughs> so good. Uh, so that is my final shout-out. Now, Corey, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Uh, we actually are kind of at time. We were kind of we're kind of near the, the point where we were going to stop. And I, I kind of feel like this is a good point to stop. I've had a really long day at work. I know you've been really busy. I've got some family time I want to get in. Uh, but, you know, just full disclosure, folks, we had like literally eight more games that we slotted. And I don't think I don't think we're going to get there. I think we may maybe we should just call it right now and maybe do like another episode at some point, because there's lots of more stuff to talk about. But I got to go hug my kid. I got to kiss my wife. You probably want to go hang out with Patrick or we want to probably get off the podcast and we both have work tomorrow. So what do you think, dude? Should we call it right here and just pick it up later? Uh, I think we can do that. I was fully prepared to launch into Games Talk, but we've already been recording for almost an hour and a half. And I know in my hardest of hearts, despite our audience probably liking our long shows, if we jump into Games Talk now, we're probably, the show's going to be like four hours long. Yeah. And... Yeah. That's kind of <laughs> what I was thinking, dude. Kind of what I was thinking. I want to spend some time with my family before they go to bed. And I feel like we run the risk of that not happening if we launch into Games Talk. Uh, but we have stuff queued up. We were going to talk about the way. Dead Cells, Mini Metro, Risk of Rain, uh, Reigns, Kings and Queens, We Happy Few, Path of Exile, Strange Brigade. We had stuff slotted, so don't don't think we didn't have stuff slotted, but I think I think we would be wise to maybe call it right now and pick it up uh, in a little while. I respect your decision to want to do this. I also am slightly I wouldn't say I'm foaming at the mouth but I'm like there's like a spot of drool on my chin for wanting to hear you talk about rains and I'm I'm prepared for you to talk shit and then I'm just going to cancel the podcast if you talk shit about rains so be careful on what you say with it do you like that one are you a big fan of that one I I played both of them on iOS on my phone and I I didn't beat them because they're really obtuse but I think they're fantastic like exercises and really clever concise game writing and i hope that you feel the same but you don't have to spoil your feelings on it yet if you don't want to but i do enjoy them okay let's definitely hold on to that then because that sounds like something that we could really uh, sink our teeth into and talk about for a while i would hate to give it short shrift by rushing through it so we'll we'll, we'll put all these games on hold i think let's just call it now and i think this is a pretty decent hundredth episode we will save all these games. We'll talk about them next time because basically the script's already written. Save that time and just go straight <laughs> to it. And uh, let's just uh, enjoy the rest of the evening with our respective families and uh, and say and say that's it for now. Agree? Yeah, this can be like episode 100 part one and then episode 100 part two can come later or something like that. That's fair. I think that's so fair. <laughs> all right. Sorry to disappoint you folks, but sometimes you got to participate in life. And I think tonight's going to be one of those nights. Um, so unexpected, uh, not planned that way, but I think this is a good natural break and this will probably bring us to the, 
I guess, uh, interim end of the show for now until we hit part two. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us for our first 100 episodes. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Really uh, thankful to all the listeners and for everybody that supported us and sends us emails and messages and everything. We love you guys, and that's really why we do it. Although I think uh, we probably would do it if we had no listeners. We'll be Corey or wouldn't we? Yeah, I've said on the show multiple times, and I'm pretty sure I stand by this, and I mean absolutely no disrespect to people who listen to the show, because obviously we do have a good like core group of fans who like the show, and we love putting out the show. We, As always, we try not to miss a week. I think we've only missed like two weeks in the 100 episodes that we've done, or something like that. Um, but in all honesty... I love doing the show just to talk to you about video games. I mean, the audience is great, and I love, you know, getting feedback and having discussions on Twitter and having people, you know, uh, comment on our dumb humor and stuff like that on the show whenever they listen to it. But um, I just like talking to you every week about video games, and here we are. Well, here we are. I enjoy talking to you, sir, very much so, and uh, I'm glad that we do this every week. And I'm also glad for our listeners, so thank you folks for joining in on our little our little private time, our little catch-up, our weekly catch-up. So uh, it can be a group a group activity. That's totally fine. I enjoy having the, the audience. So thank you guys for being with us for the first 100 episodes. Please join us on the next 100 uh, and all the 100s after that, I'm sure. Uh, in the meantime, please remember you can send thoughts, comments, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. So video games podcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com once the show is posted there. We are on Twitter as a collective show at So Video Games, and you can also get us individually on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, Corey, what is your what is your handle, sir? Uh, my handles are universal across Twitter and uh, Instagram and I don't know where else. Probably other places too that I can't think of, but it's just my first and last name. Uh, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Cool, cool. And you can hit me up, uh, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's, also Twitter and Instagram. And I guess that's the end of part one of episode 100 of So Video Games. (laughs) We will be back, uh, I don't know, question marks? I don't know when, but we'll figure it out. If nothing else, next week, but maybe sooner than that, we'll see. Uh, with part two and uh, there we go so sorry to keep you hanging but we will be back and again thanks for joining us for the first hundred Uh, this is bye from brad and bye from Corey. we will see you guys later for part two